Pastor Ed Taylor says, be prayerful and careful where you place your stamp of approval. Really, you can determine what direction you're going by where you place your stamp of approval. Like, what really is allowed in your life? What have you really said, you know, this is okay and this is good. You know, you can look at your life, I can look at mine, and how I exercise my freedom will determine, it kind of really point me the way of where my life is going. If I'm exercising my freedom for selfishness sake and not for God's glory, well then guess where it's going to end with my selfishness. It's going to be I'm going to crash and burn. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You What are you approving of in your life? That's the big question we'll ask you to thoroughly consider today on Abounding Grace, and it really does matter. If it feels good, do it, is the motto many today live by. But we'll encourage you to live by a different standard, and that is, does it reflect the heart of God? Pastor Ed Taylor is in Romans chapter 1 today, focusing on verses 28 through 32. We need to be really careful. As Christians, what we associate with, what we place our stamp of approval upon. And I know sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes it's real easy. No, 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 don't do that. Yes, that's really good to do. But other times it's, it's difficult. You know, and I'm so glad that God just didn't leave us on our own. He go, well, you figure it out. You know, you, here, here's my word and he just throws us into the world. You figure it out. But the Bible says in James chapter 1 that if we lack wisdom, if we ask of God, guess what he'll give you? Wisdom. And you'll be able to walk in wisdom. You'll be able to say, well, I'm not sure. Let me pray about that. Let me seek God's heart about that. And before I put my stamp of approval on anything, I want to seek the heart of God. Now, we've learned in previous studies that we live as Christians in this world, but we're not of this world. But there's something about this world that's always pressing in against us. This world and its system is often used by the enemy, by Satan, to try to conform us, to try to change us. You know, as a pastor, I have my hands full with lots of things going on throughout the week. But one of the most difficult times is actually this time right here. I really have my hands full for this time right here. Because what I get you for is about an hour, right? I get about an hour of your time. If, if I go a little bit over, maybe an hour and five minutes, and you know, you're like, five minutes? Are you going to really go over today, Pastor? I'm not sure if I go over today. But if I do, I might get an hour and five minutes of your time today. Hour and six minutes. Hour and 15 minutes. Hour and a half. And some of you are like, what? Why? Wait a minute. How long is the service going to be? I get an hour. The world gets all the rest of your time. You work in the world. You live in the world. The world's always pressing in on you. And some pastors get really exasperated by that thought. Oh, no, I only get an hour. I only get an hour. What am I going to do? They get the world. The world gets them all week, and I only get them an hour. And I say, give them to me for an hour because I'll give you the word, and I'll give you the truth. And I, I'm not so concerned about the power of the world because my Savior overcame this world. And if you will listen and you will receive and you'll have a heart that's open to God in this hour, God will take this hour and another hour and another hour. And as we pour the word of God into you, it will not return void. And I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged that you would sit before the Lord and invest your time 
saying, you know, Lord, I, I need to shed the things of the world this week. I, today, I, I've got to be there because this week was tough. Or I had all these pressures in my life and I had all these things going on and I need to be with other believers. I need to hear the word. I need to sing those songs because in that I'm able to remember, you know what, Lord, no matter what's happened this week, you're on the throne. You know, no matter what's happened this week, you're faithful. No matter what's going on in my life, even when I'm faithless, Lord, you remain faithful. And so I say, give me all the hours that you could possibly give me and pray for me that when you do come here, no matter whether I'm here or someone else is filling the pulpit, that they take you right to the throne room of grace through his word. We don't try to entertain. We don't try to waste time. We just want to go right to the heart of the matter. This section in Romans chapter 1 goes right to the heart of the matter. What are are you approving in your life? Where have you placed your stamp of approval? Because this world wants to dismiss God, wants to undermine God, wants to feed our flesh. The world is constantly trying to undermine our faith and influence our decisions. I ask you to open to Psalm chapter 11 because notice in verse 1 it says, in the Lord I put my trust. In the Lord. It begins with him. It's all about him. And it says, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so what is the world trying to do but then undermine your foundation spiritually? Now, some of you see this very clearly. Some of you haven't seen it yet. That in this world, it's designed to pull you and me away from the things of God, to distract us, to divert us, to take our time and our attention and to have us invested in things that will just be lost and thrown away. And to some point, the world wants us to love it, to love the world. Hold your places here. Actually, you don't need to hold your place in Psalm 11. Go over to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul has to encourage us to the place where we're warned about this world and this world system. Look at verse 1, Romans 12. We're in this world, Jesus said, we're not of this world. We're here to influence this world, not the world influencing us. Picking up in verse 1, Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you. Another way you could say that is, I beg you. I strongly beg you, Paul says, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's a great verse. Many of us have memorized it. We seek to live by it. It's a great verse. This is what I want in life. I want to present myself to the Lord. I want to present myself in a way that my life is acceptable to him, that he can use me, pour himself into me. But a lot of times we miss one very important word in that verse, and it's the word holy. That God is desiring holiness in his church. And therefore, he's desiring holiness in believers. That there needs to be a distinction gang between the believer and the unbeliever. It's not enough to say, well, if I went into your work, I wouldn't be able to tell who the believers are. God wants us to be able to shine the light of the gospel in a very dark world. Unfortunately, it's not always the case. You can't always tell the believers from the unbelievers because the believers have so watered down their life with compromise and this world system that you just can't tell anymore. Look at verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. So you know the world's trying to do that to you. Conform you and change you. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed by this world. I love this translation. It's from the Phillips paraphrase. Listen, do not allow 
the world around you to squeeze you into its mold, but let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. Did you hear that? Don't let the world squeeze. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? The pressures that come in the world to squeeze us into its mold because there is something in us deep down where we want to fit in. We want people to like us. And when we go out that way and we have this fear of man, for sure we're going to fall into a trap. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare every time, all the time. And we want to fit in. And I have three kids. I have an 8-year-old, 14-year-old, 19-year-old. And from an early, early age all the way until I don't have a breath, I've told them and I'll continue to tell them, son, daughter, be careful of peer pressure. Be careful of the people you hang around with. Be careful of the people that influence you. Be careful if you have in your mind, no, I don't think I want to go that way. But then you got 10 people coming up and they're pounding you and you got to go. You can't. How dare they start making fun of you? You've got to resist peer pressure. You've got to take a stand for what God has told you to do and what your mom and I have taught you more than all these people around you because if they're leading you in a way that's going to harm you, that's going to hurt you, don't cave into the peer pressure. And we go, yeah, yeah, Pastor, I do that with my kids too. That's a good idea. Kids need to know that peer pressure affects them. But let me tell you, you and I, we still have peers. It doesn't matter. We don't have to be eight years old or teenager in high school or off in college. We all have this pressure in our life to conform to someone else's image. There seems to be people in our lives that want us to do things that we really don't want to do. They want us to go places that, that in our heart of hearts we just know, you know what? I don't know that Christians should be going there. But because everybody's doing it, well, everybody's doing it. Remember that? Remember that when you, you, you would go and that would be your excuse to mom and dad. Why did you jump off the bridge? Well, dad, everybody was doing it. And so they'd say something like, well, what if they jumped off a cliff? What if everyone was jumping off a cliff? Would you? And that was like the wrong question to ask, huh? You're like, yeah, I think I would. But it was the wrong decision. Because of peer pressure, don't think for a moment because you and I, we've outgrown high school and college that we don't have peer pressure anymore. We do, but we don't want to make decisions in our life because of peer pressure. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. We want to make sure that what we're doing is not pressing us and squeezing us into some mold. And we read this and we say, amen, you're right. That's the kind of life I want to live. I don't want to live a life that's half-hearted. I don't want to live a Christian life that's full of compromise. I don't want to live in a a Christian life that looks like the world or sounds like the world or even appears to be like the world. I don't want to live for the world anymore. I lived too many years for this world. I wasted too much time getting ripped off from the lies of this world. Of course, none of us want to. And yet, here's the issue, guys. When I look around the church today, when I look around our church and the church at large, there really looks like a lot of world has come into the church. A lot of this world system A lot of this world's thinking, what it's caused Christians to do is just make excuses. It says, well, I do this because I can, or I do this because I don't don't think it's that big a deal, or I do this because, you know, you can't tell me what to do. And what happens is, is when worldliness and compromise comes into the church, then the church is weak. It just doesn't have any power anymore. I mean, when the world looks like the church, the church looks like the world, who's going to affect who? It just seems like we're all hanging out together. And it's not just our church. It's when I look as a pastor of the church at large. For all those churches in our city, in our metro area that are naming the name of Jesus Christ and believe that salvation is by faith alone, through the grace of God, there's a lot of world that's come into the church and a lot of world that come into believers' lives. So how does it happen? I mean, do we all just wake up one morning and go, well, well, I think I'll live for the world today. I think I'm just going to throw it all away. I can't stand Christianity anymore. I don't want anything to do with God. And I'm just going to live for the world today. I'm just going to throw my life away. No, it doesn't usually happen that way. Very rarely. 
But rather what I've noticed over the years is that it happens very slowly, very subtly, very gradually, and it's a process where really you can determine what direction you're going by where you place your stamp of approval. Like what really is allowed in your life? What have you really said, you know, this is okay and this is good. You know, you can look at your life, I can look at mine, and how I exercise my freedom will determine and kind of really point me the way of where my life is going. If I'm exercising my freedom for selfishness sake and not for God's glory, well then guess where it's going to end with my selfishness. It's going to be, I'm going to crash and burn. Rarely does a believer jump into sin so quickly. Rarely do I see a believer just totally throw everything away overnight, but rather it's time and day after day. And a habit is sown daily and it becomes a weekly habit. And then a weekly habit becomes a monthly habit. And then a monthly habit just gets forgotten because it gets woven into the fabric of the Christian's life. And now no longer are we sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the matter, but we just made excuses and now it's a part of our life and you can't tell me anything about it. I've seen that over and over again. It's like the proverbial frog in the kettle where you take a, a kettle and fill it with boiling hot water and you place a frog into it and it's not going to stay there. It's going to jump out because it's seen all of its friends lose his legs and they're not ready, you know, frog legs. <laughs> I just want to check just to make sure you're still with me. You put a frog in a boiling hot water in a kettle, it's going to jump out because it recognizes, it hey, 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 this is hot water. I don't want anything to do with it. But if you take that same kettle and you fill it with cold water and you put that frog in it, the frog's going to say, this is feeling all right. I'm okay with this. And you put it on the burner and you turn the burner up, what, right away? No, you do it gradually, one degree at a time. So that as the water gets hotter and hotter, the frog, he can't realize it. He doesn't feel it. It's like, well, it's a little bit warmer, but it's not that big a deal to the point where that frog, and they've done this in laboratories, that frog will die in boiling hot water because it didn't realize and it didn't recognize that the water was actually heating up. This is what I found, guys. Many of our moral values and many of our strong Christian virtues and many, much of our strong Christian witness is being boiled to death one degree at a time in the kettle of today's world system and today's entertainment and today's pressure-packed society. And Paul warns us about that today, to be careful, Christian, of what you approve of and what you place your stamp of approval upon. Look at chapter 1 of Romans now as we pick up in verse 28. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, verse 31, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and half of chapter 3, Paul is making the case that we are all in need of a Savior. It doesn't matter what your religious background is, or where you come, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're very religious, not religious, whether you go to church or not go to church, we all need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we have all fallen short of the glory of God because we have all sinned. 
And he's making the point here in chapter 1 that man is going away from God. He's not becoming closer to God. Apart from Jesus Christ, it's downhill for man away from God. And if you weren't here last week, we looked at verses 26, 27, kind of way from the... This section all the way through, it says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And we looked, if you weren't with us, pick up the CD or grab the study on God's view of homosexuality becomes a part of the bottom rung of a man or a woman that's apart from God. But notice this giving up, it happens three times. Verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. And verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. It's really the essence of denying God and rejecting God and resisting God. Some of you here might have heard the gospel message over and over again, and you just resisted. And you reject it. Maybe as a believer, God has shown you something recently and you're not willing to to change. You're not willing to give it up. I mean, you're willing to come to church and you're even willing to, to read your Bible. You're even willing to sing songs. You might even do your devotions now and then, but you're not willing to change. Putting you in a position to fall farther away from the Lord. To think that not willing to change would be okay. You know, and by now you know that Christianity is not just a mind change. Some people, I think, that, well, I'll just change my mind. That's what I need to do. I heard a message, and so I need to change my mind about things. So, you know, I'm going to change everything about my life. I'm, I'm going to stop doing these things, and I'm going to stop hanging out with these people. And now on Sundays, I used to do this on Sundays, but now I'm going to come to church on Sundays, and, and I'm going to buy a really big Bible because I want to be a really big Christian. So I'm going to get the biggest Bible I can get, and, and I'm going to get the biggest uh, necklace with the biggest cross on it because I want everybody to know I love Jesus. But it's really never touched your heart. So you've looked at all the outward things and you go, well, I've taken care of the outward things, but you really never surrendered. So that for us, we look at you outward and we go, okay, I can, yeah, I can see there are some things in your life that point me to think that you're a Christian, but you know that you haven't changed your heart. Because the Bible says, Jesus does, he says, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. It has to start in the heart. It's not where you face an area in your life, well, I'll just change my mind about that. Well, if you change your mind about that, guess what? Someone will come along and change your mind again. And you always be confused of whether something's sin or not, or if something's right in your life or not. So I'm a believer because, you know, I've changed my mind, and I've changed my behaviors, and I've got a new vocabulary. You know, it could be something along the lines of, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't hang around with those that do. I'm a Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. Because Christians are believers in Jesus Christ. That means we've exercised faith. And when you exercise faith in Jesus Christ, you and I, we're born again, and we're given true freedom. Not a freedom of the mind only, but a freedom of the heart. And how we use that freedom is going to determine the kind of Christian life that we live and we lead. Because the people that Paul describes here in chapter 1 are not living in freedom, but in bondage. This is their life. Notice verse 29, it says they are being filled. That word filled, next to it you can just write, filled to the utter brim. It'd be the idea of how thirsty you are on a hot day. You come into the kitchen, you put some ice in a glass and you pour as much water as you possibly can get in that glass. You pour it so full that if you put just one more drop, it would overflow. That's what's happening here. They're overflowing with this kind of behavior. And then he also uses another descriptive word in verse 29, the word all. I mean, this is their life. What a miserable existence. It's empty, it's vain, it's purposeless. This world system 
has sold them a lie. And in that lie, they think it's better to live for the temporary passing pleasures of this world than to live for the kingdom of God. And then these folks, rather than investing their time on earth to please God, they'd rather just totally allow this world system to rip them off. Flip over to 1 John chapter 2. Let me show you what I mean. John, by the time he writes this in 1 John, is about 90 years old. So he's been around the block. He has the authority, not only as an apostle and a pastor, but as a man who's lived a full life to talk to us about this world system. And he warns us in verse 15. He says, do not love the world. And it's the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 12. It's not speaking of the globe you know, the don't love the world or the environment or animals or anything. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about the world system. And just in case we misunderstand it, he then says, don't love the world or the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty bold. So that if we love this world and the things in this world and they've captured our heart, then we don't have the love of the Father in us. We're in a place where, like Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You either love the one or hate the other, hate the one and love the other. The same thing John's saying here. He says, you either have a love of God in your heart or you love this world and then live for the things of this world. And then he describes it. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And here's the key, isn't it? Verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The people described in chapter 1 here, beginning in verse 28, have lived, they've sold out to the world. And because they sold out to the world, they're just, hey, they are so far away from God. They, they have completely rejected God in their lives. And we read through the list, don't we? Verse 28. They didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind. Being filled, verse 29, with all unrighteousness. And you start looking at this section. I was, I was praying through this section, meditating on this section. And I came to the conclusion, I kind of felt like Paul was setting us up here. Because as we're looking at chapter 1, he's talking about unbelievers, talking about those that are, that are far from God. And you come to this list and, and it's almost like Paul's setting us up. Like getting us ready for something. He's like, wow, you know, listen to all these sins. And, and we could easily read this list like this, couldn't we? Being filled with all unrighteousness or sexual immorality. And you go, well, I don't have any sexual immorality in my life. Wickedness. I'm not a very wicked person. Covetousness. Maliciousness. Full of envy. Well, I only have envy sometimes. Murder. I'm not a murderer. Strife. I don't fight very much anymore. Deceit. I don't do that. Evil-mindedness. Well, sometimes. Whispers. You know, I'm not a backbiter all the time. I'm not a hater of God. I'm not too violent. I'm, I'm sort of proud sometimes, but then God busts me. I'm a, I'm a boaster. I don't invent evil things. And we could read through this and go, man, I'm glad this doesn't describe me. Man, I mean, this isn't my life. You know, I'm a believer now. I live for the things of Jesus Christ. I don't have, undis I'm not undiscerning. I'm not untrustworthy. I'm not, and on and on that list would go. And it would be very easy to end this chapter just thinking, you know, I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> Compared to this guy, I'm a pretty good person. And it could leave us in a place where we're very self-righteous. So, you know, we compare our lives with all of these things. And, you know, I know they happen episodically in my life, but my life's not filled with them. My life isn't overcome by them. And yet, if we were to leave that way, we'd really miss the emphasis I think Paul's trying to make here because we still have verse 32 to deal with. We have all these behaviors listed. We can include last week's on homosexuality and sexual sin. 
And we still have to deal with this last part of verse 32, where it says, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And Paul's saying something very powerful here. He's saying that approval means something. That when we place our stamp of approval on something, we're associating with it. We're extending ourselves with it. That's Pastor Ed Taylor on the Friday edition of Abounding Grace. He's covering the last few verses of Romans chapter 1. It's a message we've titled, Be Prayerful and Careful Where You Place Your Stamp of Approval. If you've enjoyed the message, hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. That's AboundingGraceRadio.com. And if you haven't already, download our free app. That way you can listen to our program right there on your phone or tablet. Search for Calvary Church Aurora. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, be sure to request Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn. You'll be encouraged as you hear how God transformed an unlikely generation and how He can most certainly do it again. Call us right now at 877-30-GRACE, and we'll gladly take your request. That's 877-30-GRACE. Then join us next time when we'll pick up where we left off in Romans here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.